Stewardship is just a term that describes what we do with what we have. What we do with what we have. And what we have is our time, our money, our talents, our families, what we do with that. I want to talk about today, and I think at the end of today, there'll be a principle that you can use starting today, starting tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, to make decisions in your life, to evaluate where you are in your life and decide if you're going to make this turn or that turn, so to speak. And the passage I want to look at in Scripture is from 1 Samuel chapter 1. It's about a woman named Hannah. Hannah was childless and she was grieved by it. And she would pray to God, say, God, give me a child. And for a long time, she wasn't able to have a kid. And then here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. This is what happens. Next time I'll bring a bookmark. Okay. Here we are, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. Once, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, that's the place where the temple was, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in bitterness of soul, because she doesn't have a child, in bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. Uh, That refers to what's called a Nazarite vow. It's like kind of like being a monk in the Old Testament. It was a vow you took and you didn't cut your hair. Samson is a famous Nazarite in the Old Testament. And no razor will ever touch on his, be used on his head. In other words, I'm going to take this boy if you give me one and give him over to you. And as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. And Eli thought she was drunk. And he said to her, how long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of, the great, out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered and said, go in peace. And may the Lord, the God of Israel, grant you what you have asked of him. And She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. And early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. And Elkanah, that's Hannah's husband, Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. Let's pray. God, add your richest blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. Take my words, Lord, and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them and take our hearts and incline them towards you. And set them on fire for your world. Amen. So Hannah's a small, uh, this, this small insignificant woman who has a, a grief in her heart. She can't have a child. And she goes one day to the temple and she's there praying. And the priest sees her and says, I think God's going to answer your prayer. And she goes home. And sure enough, she does conceive and does have a little boy whose name is Samuel. And she gives him over to the, God, to the Lord. I think in the story of Hannah and in her relationship with her little son Samuel, we have a principle that applies to all of us right where we are today, and it's this. All God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God. Here's the principle. All God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God. Now, in American culture, we value self-reliance. We value uh, uh, 
rags to riches, we value pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. Frankly, that's almost always a lie because almost everything we have, in fact, I could say everything we have and everything we are is ultimately a gift from God. You think you've been successful in business because you've worked really hard at it, and I bless you for that, and hard work is a good thing and God honors it. But who gave you the gifts that enabled you to bear fruit in the work in which you find yourself? If you'd been born 200 years ago as a pony herder in the middle of Mongolia, your skill that enables you to be good at financial transactions or to work on the market or work in the hedge funds you work for or to make the deals you do or the mergers and acquisitions you work on, that skill would have not borne you very much fruit. And the same, of course, applies in every single area you can think of. Josh Hamilton this week has been tearing it up for the Rangers hitting homer after homer. That's a tremendous skill which none of us here has. But if Josh Hamilton had been living in another circumstance or been born in even another country in the year in which he was born, I doubt we would be reading about him hitting homers for the Rangers. All that we have and all that we are comes from God. So the principle, all God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God, in fact applies to all of us as we are right now in every aspect of our lives, since everything we have ultimately is a gift from God. So I want to talk really practically this morning. I want to give you some things that you can go home and do today and start tomorrow about what it might look like to take your God-given gifts and give them back over to God. And I'd like to suggest that if you hear me out through the end, it'll be an interpretive framework that you can use to make decisions in your life, to realize your purpose in the world, to give you a kind of a, a passion and a vigor when you wake up in the morning. So some practical some practical factors. The first is this. Children are a gift from God. That's a basic premise of the scriptures. We can't make children come. Even with all our technology and our science, ultimately children are a gift from God. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because not all of us are parents, and for some of us that's a grieving issue. But what does it look like to take your kids who are a gift from God and give them back over to the Lord? I should say, just as a disclaimer, I know almost nothing about parenting, okay? I'm about as ignorant as parenting as you can almost possibly be. But I've been thinking about it a lot, so I don't intend to stand up here and tell you how to parent your kids, particularly when you have older kids or grown kids. But here's some principles I think you could follow. Several years, uh, weeks ago, as an all-church staff, we watched one of these ESPN 30 for 30 videos. Have you seen these? They're pretty good. They're different topics. You can look them up online. And we watched one called uh, Into the Wind. And it was about a young man named Terry Fox, a Canadian, who in 1980 became uh, very famous, certainly all over Canada and I think over the rest of the world. Perhaps some of you remember reading about Terry Fox. Terry was a young guy, and in high school he came down with cancer, and he lost his whole leg. He was amputated up about at the hip. And he was sitting in his hospital room, and he saw all the, the despair that the other kids in the ward had. He said, I'm going to do something about this when I get out of here. So he set the goal of trying to run all the way across Canada from Nova Scotia and the Atlantic all the way to British Columbia in the Pacific. And he was going to run a marathon a day. And the documentary follows him doing that. And he, it's his right leg, and so he has this prosthesis. And you, you see him running mile after mile down the road with this incredible limp, and it just looks painful. And he did it day after day. And it was just him and his good buddy, real quiet, soft-spoken guy, who they flew out to Nova Scotia, got a little camper van, and his buddy would drive behind him at, you know, whatever, 10 miles an hour, mile after mile down the shoulder of the highway. 
And at first, when they first started in Nova Scotia, there wasn't a whole lot of press, not a whole lot of people heard about it. But he kept doing it day after day, and the, he kind of uh, ginned up support. And when he got down to Toronto, hundreds of thousands of people came out, and people were cheering and seeing him, and the mayor had him speak, and the television cameras wanted him all the time. It's an incredible story. I'm not going to tell you the end of it, but you should watch it. It's very moving. But the takeaway I had from it was this. I want my son to grow up to be someone full of that kind of courage and grace and passion in the world. I want my son to grow up and be kind of like that. In other words, I don't really care what college he goes to or even if he goes to college. I don't care if he gets into this fraternity or that fraternity. I don't care if he has this job or that job. I'd like to suggest that one of the things it means to take our God-given gifts and give them back over to the Lord is to take our kids and to raise them with the idea of turning them into the Lord's service. See, a lot of us, particularly in American culture, we think what matters is that our kids grow up and do this extracurricular activities and get this on their uh, college application to get into this particular school so they can get into this particular career field and marry this type of person and make this sort of money and then retire. I think that's almost insignificant. I'm grateful for education. I believe in education. I'm grateful for the opportunities that God opens to some of us. But if that's our goal for our kids, I think we've really missed the boat. All God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God. I'd suggest that your role as a parent, your primary role, is to raise up young men and women who are, as one of my friends said to me when I told him about the birth of my son, mighty in the land, to quote from the Psalms. To raise your daughters and your sons to grow up to be mighty in the land, people who are working as God's uh, servants and missionaries in the world. And we communicate to our kids what we value through the questions we ask and through the emphasis we put on different things. Rather than just wondering about what their grades are, grades are important. I'm not knocking that. What about how their hearts are? What about how their character is being shaped? Wouldn't it be great if every evening you, when they're little, you kneel down on the side of their beds and prayed with them, God, bless this small child. Bless my son. Bless my daughter. Raise them up to be mighty in the land, people who are known for their commitment and devotion to you. And as they get older and we're not going to kneel down with them anymore, wouldn't that be a great thing to pray over them in the silence of our own rooms every evening? Lord, raise up this child, this daughter, this son for you. All God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God, and that applies to our kids. Now, let me say this. Again, I almost know nothing about parenting, but I know enough to know that kids are their own independent creatures. My son is almost two, and if he doesn't want to eat what he doesn't want to eat, there is no way you can make him, I can tell you that. And my observation is that's even more true of a 16-year-old and an 18-year-old and a 26-year-old and so on. And some of you today I know are carrying a grief around in your hearts about the choices your kids are making and about the type of uh, lives that they're leading. And I'd just like to say this. One of the things it means to give gifts back over to God is to do your part but also trust that God will do his and you just need to give it over to him. So perhaps today, can I just give you a word of peace if you're a mom or a dad really grieving about that this morning? Just say, God, I confess to you that I haven't been a perfect parent and I've made my own mistakes, but I want you to envelop this person in your love and care, redeem his or her poor mistakes and choices and let their story be a story of, like the prodigal son of coming back to you. And let that be God's responsibility. You are ultimately not responsible for the fate of the world or the fate of your kids or the choices they make. It's just your job to model it up and raise them up in a certain way. So, kids, all God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God. Kids, 
Here's another one, though. I want to talk about your position, your, your, uh, your circumstances. How might you take your circumstances and your position and give those back over to God? Again, just make it clear. We think that we are where we are, particularly those of us who have been successful, because we've worked hard at it. And that's where we should be. And again, God honors hard work. I'm not discounting that. But who gave you the gifts and who set you up at the time and the place? Do you know how many chances and circumstances are all around us all the time? If the bus were to come over one lane, if the cure weren't going to work, if we were born in a different place, if our passport was a different color, do you know how many chances there are that set you up to be just as you are, right where you are? So how can you use your circumstance and your position from God? So first I want to talk to those of you who feel like you have positions of influence and, and power that the world would recognize. Can you imagine if you got up in the morning and began to pray something like this, God, open doors for me today to add value to other people. Lord, the one thing I'm asking for you today is open doors so that I can add value to other people. How might you think about the deal that comes across your desk, the investment opportunity, the new hiring, the strategic partnership, how might you be thinking about that differently? I'd suggest that rather thinking about how you can gain from it, you'd be thinking about how you can bless through it. Wouldn't that be an incredible thing if the people in our church, just the few hundred that are here this morning, began to live their professional lives like that? Whatever their circumstance is, they're going to believe that God's placed them there. And like any other God-given gift, they're going to try to give it back over to God. I think that would be a powerful thing. I think business would run differently. I think your office would be a different place to work. I think our city would be different. How can you use your position of influence that God has given you right now, which, by the way, is only temporary, is all stewardship is. You're not going to live forever. You're not going to have that position forever. How can you use that and pray that God would open doors so that the world, that he could be glorified and the world could be blessed. Some of you are in fields that you're passionate about and some of you aren't. But I'd suggest regardless of where you are, you can be praying that prayer. And then the job almost becomes inconsequential. The job is just the means to the end. The end is how you can better love God and love your neighbor through whatever situation you find yourself. But what about those of us who don't feel like we have positions of influence? Maybe this morning you're unemployed, uh, you're sick, you're dealing with a heavy burden. How could God also even use those circumstances? For example, let's say you're unemployed. Think about the kind of joy and passion you can convey to other people who are also waiting in the employment benefits line with you when you show that you're not afraid, that you're trusting that God can take care of you regardless of your circumstances. Wouldn't that be a powerful witness? And for, if you have people in your life who aren't sick, who aren't dealing with that burden, that injustice, who do have a job, they'll see your passion and your faith and your courage and it will affect who they are. So I really believe regardless of where you find yourself this morning, whether you feel like you're, you're high or low, God can use your position. Particularly when we pray, God, open a door for me today, waiting in line, in the carpool, at the PTA meeting, at the board meeting. Open a door for me today to add value to somebody else. Because all God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God, and your circumstance today is a God-given gift. I want to talk about another one. I want to talk about the, the money that we have, our, our, our stuff, our financial holdings. Again, this is obvious, but 
preaching is often about just saying the obvious. At the end of your life, and particularly when you die, it's not going to matter how many zeros were in your bank account. In fact, a life devoted to that is a very empty life. You have nothing to show for it. In the Bible, there's this principle we talk about called the tithe. Tithe is just an old-fashioned English word that's kind of related to the word tenth, tithe, tenth. It just means 10%. And the principle is, it's just whatever you have, right off the top, you take 10% and you give it back over to God for the work of, of ministry, for the work of the local church. Now, I, I know that a lot of us are in different circumstances and the money never seems to last till the end of the month. I know hardly anything about parenting. I probably know even less about finances, but I do know this. There's never enough money. The month always seems longer. It doesn't matter how much you have. You always want more. I'd suggest, in fact, one of the ways to get your financial house in order and stop spending more money than you have, which is a sure way towards ruin, is to start taking a 10% cut off right at the top before you write your first check and write it off to the Lord. Again, how generous is God? He allows us to keep the rest. Were we not blessed by God to live in the place and time in which we find ourselves, this money and the resources we have that we think are ours wouldn't even be ours anyway. And what the Lord is asking is for us to be faithful and return a portion of it back over to him. What would it look like if we were the kind of church that was known for our generosity, that we gave generously? I think it would radically transform how we see money. It would transform the financial pressures that a lot of husbands and wives have in their marriages. It would be a powerful thing. Let me just say this. Whenever churches talk about money, people always get nervous. I totally understand that. I also watch these televangelist knuckleheads on TV and see the kind of things they say, and I'm not any more likely to give a dollar to that than I am to Al-Qaeda, okay? I see some of this stuff. But this is what I would say. I say this in our membership class. And this, if you're a guest, it doesn't apply to you. But if this is your home church and this is a church you want to be a member of, you need to support it financially. You need to support the work of the church. And what I say to our members is, listen, there's no pressure on you. If you don't want to join or if you're just checking it out, that's fine. But why would you join a church that you didn't trust how they were using the finances? You can use that as an excuse. Well, I don't know how churches use money. That's fine. Use that excuse. But then just don't become a member here. We expect our members to make a commitment to give. Not because we're giving just to keep the lights on or the air conditioning running, although, of course, we all know those are actually not insignificant things, but because the church is about the work of ministry. Because when we give, and this is why we're doing this building, we expect God to work through us the way he worked through the loaves and the fishes. Our goal as a church is to reach a next generation of young people like Nick Chatham. So we have a whole army of them graduating. We can reach the local elementary school and the middle school and the high school. And it takes money to do that. And that's one of the reasons why we give. We're saying, God, you've blessed us in so many ways, and you're so generous to allow us even to keep what you've given us. But here's a portion of what you've given us. And that applies to you whether you have very little or a lot. Some of you are on really tightened financial circumstances. I would say the principle of giving back to God applies just as much to you as to someone else. Because you know what the other truth is? No matter where you stand, you always wish you had more. And generosity starts now, not tomorrow, not the next day. It starts right now where you are with what you have. Now, let me just say this real quick as we wrap up here. Some of the things I've been talking about this morning seem easy to you and some seem difficult perhaps. See, each of us has different things that are precious to us. For some of you, the thought of giving your kids over to God is a huge thing. That's a, a big ask. And for the others of you, it's the same about your money. It just depends on where we are. 
I'd like for you to think about this morning what's most precious to you of all the gifts that God has given you and perhaps be praying about offering that over to God because it is often when we give not out of just the change we find in our pockets, so to speak, when we give from the center of our hearts that God really uses that in a powerful way. For some of you, it might just be your time. You'd write a check all day long, but when it comes to your time, that's hard. There's this great passage here I want to close with. This is 1 Samuel chapter 2. So Samuel's this little boy that his mom has given over to the work of the temple. Listen to this, verse 18. Is this little kid. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. She gives him over to God. He's a little kid. And each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Isn't that a poignant detail? See, can you imagine taking that little boy it says in the Bible that when she was weaned, she took him over. Little kid, two-year-old, three-year-old, walking him up to the temple and giving him over to God. And then every year, she knits a little shirt for him. This is my son's little shirt. Can you imagine what that gift meant to her? How precious that little child was that she'd given over to God. But she knew that all God-given gifts are meant to be given back over to God, and she was faithful. And God blessed that in tremendous ways. And it's no exaggeration to say that God used this simple woman's prayer and faithful response to change the course of history. Because Samuel, of course, calls out David to be king. And the Messiah comes from the line of David. Who knows how God might use your gifts? The last thing I'll say is this. I was watching a documentary a few years ago about these lost boys in Sudan. These kids, have you seen these stories? It's incredible. Terrible war in the Sudan and thousands of these boys left their homes and were driven out and they lived in the desert for years and they ended up in refugee camps in northern Kenya. And some of them have been resettled in America and perhaps you've seen some uh, around. They're called the Lost Boys and there's a documentary called God Grew Tired of Us. You can watch it on uh, Netflix or Hulu for free. I'd encourage you to do so. And it's pretty funny because it follows the boys that have been resettled from this refugee camp into America and they don't know anything about the civilized world. They don't know how toilets work or refrigerators or stoplights or light switches or whatever. And there's this great scene where the social workers have stocked the boys' apartments, including with things like shaving cream. And this one kid, he's sitting there in the morning, they're watching him get ready before he goes to his job. He's shaking up the can, he sprays it all over his hand. I'm not going to do that because I'm about to serve communion. He sprays it all over his hand, and he starts going like this. And he rubs it all over himself, and then he's ready to start the day. And I love that image because he doesn't know what it's used for. He's been given a gift, but he's using it the wrong way. What about you? And perhaps the most precious gift you have is your life that God has given you. Perhaps today could be the day in which you say, God, just my life is as it is. I've screwed it up, I've messed it up, but I want to offer it over for you to redeem, to make holy, to use in your world. If we're the kind of church that wants to make a difference in East Dallas, we're going to have to be a church that offers the most precious things, including our lives, over to God. And God will use it and redeem it in ways that no eye can see and not even any human heart can comprehend. And that's my prayer for you and for me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.